Welcome to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. Uh, we got a, an, an interesting sequence of events coming up for you today. So uh, no, normally it's been a little bit like, welcome to Real Faith with Robbie and, but uh, unfortunately it's been a bit difficult to find somebody to, to come along and do the co-hosting for a while. So we're, we're going to give something new a try today and we're actually going to be trying to do a bit of a solo show here, which is a little intimidating and, and exciting. You know? If anyone can do it, it's you, Robbie. You got this. Oh, praise the Lord. So, Shell's still here with me doing the producing, but we're excited. We're going to be continuing our series of In the Beginning, but uh, it, it's had me thinking a little bit, you know, what are you going to do to fill time when it's just by yourself? I, I, I have a bit of a reputation for talking a lot, and uh, maybe it's because I'm American, maybe it's because I spent a lot of time growing up by myself, uh, hanging out alone, playing music, or, or things of that nature, but uh, my grandmother always said that... Um, she said that being able to talk to yourself was a mark of intelligence. So we're going to see if that if that rings true today. But um, super excited to have you guys with us. We're going to be continuing our series of In the Beginning, as I mentioned before. And today we're going to be talking about the story of the Great Flood and learning about Noah and what happened in that story. And then we're actually going to discover today the very first location in the whole of the Bible where the word grace appears. So that's a pretty exciting installment. And uh, today in our Testify segment, we're also going to be hearing from my friend Daniel, who I was studying at university with, who's going to be calling in and giving us a little bit of a testimony for some real life experience about what's been happening in his life with Jesus. So you don't want to miss it. It's going to be a great show. We're looking forward to hearing back from you guys, or from you rather. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a great show. So without any further ado, this is Steve Bell, the home of our God. Let my eyes see your glory, Lord. My heart is awash with glory. Glad in the heart of your servant for you are the light of the city of great love, where sorrow, death, and pain will surely pass away, will surely pass away. See the home of our God among these mortal plains, the city of great love, where sorrow, death, and pain will surely pass away, will surely pass away. He will wipe 
My heart is awash with glory. Gladden the heart of your servant for you are the light of the Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. And uh, we're just about to come in one of my favorite segments in this show. But before that, I just want to do a shameless plug. And uh, we would love to hear from you throughout the program, and particularly, especially for our Question of the Week segment that comes up right towards the end, where we take an opportunity to try and answer a question that you have about God or about the Bible or spirituality or anything of that nature. So we'd love to hear from you. And if you would like to call in, you can do so at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM, or you can text us at 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. And I don't know exactly what our giveaway is going to be yet, but we're going to work on that, and I'll have that for you at the next break. And uh, you're going to find out, if you're the first caller in, you're going to get a free something. So that'll be exciting. But it has come that time of the show to find out a little bit more about the weird and wonderful world that we live in. And uh, Shell's going to help me out a little bit with this uh, with this segment. So super excited to have you here, Shell. Now, I have a question for you, Shell. Okay. And it's right on point with the fun facts that we're looking at today. Now, if you were to describe yourself, would you say that you were more of an introvert or an extrovert? Dun, dun, dun. I used to always be an et- an extrovert. You reckon? I'm becoming more of an introvert. Really? Yeah. You're finding that there's a bit of a transition happening there and from more extroverted to introverted. Well, first of all, could you give us a definition? How would you define or describe an extrovert? Oh, just like a really outgoing person yep. who um, just loves to be around people a lot. Definitely. And what about an introvert? Introverts are the opposite. so they don't necessarily enjoy being around people quite as much yeah that's right and they 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 like their me time their alone time yeah that's right now one of the things that unfortunately has has been kind of popularized around this subject is the idea that one is better than the other but the reality is that neither is better than the other there are just differences and those differences actually come out with different pros and cons for both categories but sometimes people think that if if if, if you're introverted for example that you have some sort of social awkwardness or you must be shy or something of that nature which is not necessarily the case what's actually being described by being introverted or extroverted is where you seem to get energized from. So if you've had a long, hard day and you've come home, what is it that's going to give you that recharge? Is it going to be being around people and being social, or is it going to be time alone doing something by yourself? And that's really kind of the definition that we go with these days. So an introverted person would be more likely to spend time alone outside going for a hike or journaling, or playing music, or listening to music, rather, or to recharge, rather than an extrovert who would say, 
hey, I've just finished a long day at work. I'm exhausted. I think I'm going to go and go out for dinner with some friends, and I'm going to catch up with this person. We're going to go do something fun. We're going to go be out, you know, active and uh, what was the word that you used before? Outgoing. Yep. Now, where do you reckon I would sit on that spectrum? Dun, dun, dun. I, I think you're... I don't know. <laughs> in, in, in some ways, well, I don't know. If, uh, m- one of my closest friends is an introverted extrovert. Ah. So, so she's like extreme on both sides. So when she's when she's an extrovert, she's just all out, you know, just the life of the party, loves, you know, just chatter, box, all the rest. But when she's in her introvert, she's like got her phone in front of her face with this Leave me alone. Don't talk to me. Isn't that interesting? And, it, and it's just, it's there and you know, okay, right now, right now <laughs> she needs her me time. Right now you leave her alone. That's right. Yeah. Did you know that they actually have coined a term for that? So if, if you are a person who feels like, man, I'm, I'm really not like fully introverted, but I'm not fully extroverted either. I like to be with people, but then I really need some alone time. They've actually coined a term and the term is ambivert. Somebody who is ambiverted, kind of like ambidextrous. I can do things with my left hand and my right hand. I'm ambidextrous. So if you're an ambivert or you're ambiverted, you have ambiversion. (laughs) You're somewhere towards the middle of the spectrum. So you can uh, enjoy and appreciate um, being with people, but you can also recharge by being alone. And there's a bit more balance there. And I actually think that I sit somewhere on that spectrum. So Uh where are you at out there, listener? And, uh, We'd love to hear from you about that. Tell us if, you're, if you consider yourself to be an extrovert, an introvert, or an ambivert, you can text us in. This next song is called Run by the Teachers. When I'm filled with doubt and I lost my way When I just can't seem to keep trouble at bay When the world seems full of chaos and dismay, I run to you, you're my savior, oh my grace, cause I run to you in all my desperation, I run to you when there seems no other way.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio, and it's come time for our Testify segment where we get to hear some real-life stories from people who are living right now and what God is doing in their real life. So we've got our friend Daniel. You there, Daniel? Hey, brother. How you doing? I'm doing really good, man. How are you going? I'm doing really well. It's been quite a while since you and I have had a talk or, or caught up. It is. It has been. Well, is it has been a while. It has been a while. Last time I saw you, we were studying together at Avondale College, doing some theology classes. Yeah, Hebrew. I think was the last one we had together. Yeah, it, it was a bit of a blur. It was a bit of a blur. <laughs> <laughs> well, Daniel, um, tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into your story today. What? Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're doing right now. Uh, oh, I'm relatively young to my faith. I've probably been saved by Christ for about four or five years. Um, I was a police officer for seven years, and I was really searching for something else in the world. Things just didn't add up. I wasn't quite getting the whole connection with what I saw and what I knew and what was going on. So I was actively seeking for answers, and I was actually the product of door knocking. One of the young students from local Bible college came around knocking on my door, and we had a chat one day, and then we ended up having Bible studies. And so I went to a seminar series, uh, learn more about Christ and the validity of the Bible and what God's done for us and gave my life to Jesus, got baptized with my beautiful wife in 2017 Amen. and uh, been part of my church ever since. That's awesome, dude. Praise the Lord for that. And what yeah, are you doing with yourself God. now, Daniel? Well, funnily enough, while I was in the cops, I wanted to get out and I wanted to get out into other employment. I couldn't just walk out of a you know, close to $100,000 a year job to nothing. I needed to have something to secure my, my family's future. And so I must have applied for 45, 50 jobs while I was in, in the cops, and I got rejected on all of them, and I was really upset by that. And so I ended up leaving, or I ended up being medically discharged from the police due to anxiety, depression, and PTSD. And so I continued to search for work, and then for a while I stopped. I took a bit of time off because I was still getting paid from income protection and from workers' comp. And my head just wasn't in the right place, and I wasn't able to really function in a regular way. And so time went by, and eventually I got to the point where I felt like I had all this energy I wanted to use, and I kept trying to use it in different ways, particular ways, and seemed to be getting rejected by people. So I thought, maybe I need to get back into some kind of employment. And at this time, I'm studying at Avondale College and learning more about um, the path to ministry and theology and being a church pastor or being a minister or being a um, chaplain or something. I just knew that God had a calling for me because he called me into ministry. Yeah. And so had all this energy, well, nothing was working out, and I actually got an email off my pastor saying there was a position for a school chaplain at a couple of schools at Dungog, and I applied, and they required particular certificates. Now, I didn't have these certificates, and I would have had to go through a training course or pay to get them. And I thought, well, surely I've done this kind of work before enough in the police because we really were social workers. We really were dealing with people's mental health and connecting with them in different ways. So I contacted my old um, education development officer at Maitland and he put me onto somebody in Sydney and I contacted her. And she wrote a letter out saying that I basically have the training that would fill the quotas needed for these um, certificates. Funnily enough, at the same time, one of the companies that's helping with my uh, recovery actually ended up paying certificates. So oh, I had wow. double going into battle, which was great. Yeah, so I applied for these certificates at Dungog. Yeah, praise God. He's always, he's always got this plan and that's, that's really the the point of this story overall when we get to the end. 
says, I applied for this position at Dundog, and my wife and I were talking about it, discussing it back and forth. It's an hour each way there and back every day. And then I thought, well, you know, maybe I should stay out there on a Friday night so I can just get up, go to church in the morning, grab it, and then drive back in. And we're having a really hard time getting it together. I didn't end up getting the job, and I was really dejected. And so anyway, I got thrown another couple of jobs for a chaplain position. I looked at them, and they were kind of schools that had sort of a rough character to it. And I went, oh, yeah, look, um, I'm not really interested. I'm, I'm much <laughs> going to sound horrible. I'd much rather a more well-behaved school where I don't have to deal with problems or um, aggro children. And I, I sort of threw my name in the, in the hat. I thought, well, threw my hat during it. So if I don't, then it's going to seem bad that I'm not into it. Anyway, lo and behold, God's provided both of these positions for me. And I actually couldn't be happier that I've now got these two positions in these schools and I'm able to go and help children come to terms with the struggles they have in their lives and try and help them grow in a really unique way. That's awesome, man. Praise the Lord for opening up that, that opportunity for you. That's really cool. Yeah, amen. And I, I was sitting there thinking, I'm, I'm never going to get work. I'm never going to get my foot in the door. This is such a struggle. God, why is this not happening? And I kept trying to do it on my own. And so when I sort of sat back and left it to him and prayed on it, he's provided such a wonderful opportunity for me. Anyway, so I'm working three days a week at two different schools. And I got an email off a job recruitment agency that's helping me with my recovery as well. And they said, oh, look, we've got a work trial that's available to you. And it's in a Christian environment it's called the um, uh, Youth Youth with a Mission, YWAM. Yeah, YWAM. It's actually an organization. Yeah, yeah. And so there's a position going into the schools and doing Bible studies and helping the kids learn about Christ as well, which is where I want my focal ministry to be at this point. And so as soon as I've seen that email, I'll fly back instantly. Like, yes, I'm only available Monday and Tuesday, but I want that. I definitely want to go there. Oh, that's and awesome, I just, man. I think about, it would have been over 12 months when I was driving into the cops just before I got out. Every day I was driving and I was praying all the way, 25-minute drive. I'm praying openly to God. On the way at home, I'm praying to God, please get me out of this job. Please get me something else. And I applied for a bunch of jobs thinking I'm perfect for that fit. And while I had the skills for it, God knew that my head was not in the place where it needs to be at that time to be successful in those roles. He had something better for me. And when I sat back and I gave it to him, he provided in the most magnificent way. And I can't thank him enough. Amen, man. Oh, well, thank you so much, Daniel, for sharing your story. And uh, remember out there that if you trust in God's timing, he will bring about what is necessary for you in his will, in his way. And it's better than what you can plan for yourself. Well, God bless you, brother, and all the best with your ministry. This is Anthem Lights, Reckless Love, How He Loves. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. took a breath you breathed your life in me you've been so so kind to me
chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never ending, reckless love of God. He is jealous for me. Loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of His wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions, eclipsed by glory, and I realize just how beautiful You are and how great Your affections are for me. Oh, how He loves us so. Oh, how He loves us. How He loves us so. Every morning we cover news that matters and study the Bible together. We also have heaps of great music and giveaways. So come and have a positively different morning with us. Every weekday from 7 to 9 on Faith FM. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Do you enjoy listening to Faith FM? We'd love to hear your story. Let us know on our website at faithfm.com.au or email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au and let's connect today.
not as real as it could be why you ask because this isn't the live show so as good as this is the live show is where it's really at join us every thursday from 3 30 to 5 30 p.m so you can be involved live i got on a journey to the promised land i heard of jesus god's only son it wasn't something Amen, God, he picked me up And changed my life But sometimes life brings you down And before you know it, you're worn out When all you can see is dusty roads And all sides of sea you're left on your knees There's a rest place ahead To stop for a while To lay your head You can come to the Lord Away from the crowds Find a quiet place To rest in
There's a rest place ahead. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. And uh, just before we get into our Bible study, I just want to do another shameless plug. And let's get a drum roll. It doesn't sound like maybe the the most like amphitheater kind of drum roll. It's just the desk in here at the studio, but it was sounded good enough, I reckon. Um, the first caller in today who's calling in with a question for Question of the Week is going to receive a free 513-piece jigsaw puzzle of Noah and the Rainbow of Promise. So if you are our first caller in today, you can receive that, and uh, you can do so by calling in with any question that you've got about God, the Bible, spirituality, etc. at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text us at 0491-064-669. 0491-064-669. So we're going to be starting our Bible study today in Genesis chapter 6. So Genesis is the first book of the Old Testament, and chapter 6 is where we're starting off. And just before we get into it, I'd just like to do a quick recap of uh, what we talked about a fortnight ago when we had our last show. And uh, realistic, well, really, what we talked about last show was the first instance of murder in the Bible. We talked about the story of Genesis chapter 4 through Genesis chapter 5, the story of Cain and Abel, the first two children born to Adam and Eve, the first man and the first woman, and how Cain, the eldest, murdered his brother Abel. And then, continuing on that story, it it kind of showed that there was a deviation between Cain's lineage and the lineage that came through Adam and Eve's next son, Seth. And there was a demarcation there between these people who were choosing to follow God's ways and those who were walking away from where God's location was. They, they went away from the Garden of Eden, it seems, and they continued to live a life wandering in, in, away from God's ways without, for lack of a better way to say it. So we have that delineation taking place and that takes us to Genesis chapter six. And we're just going to have a word of prayer before we get into our Bible study. Father in heaven, we just thank you for the gift of your word. And for the gift of your spirit, please fill us with your spirit as we read, and may it impact our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 1, and it reads, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful. And they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Now, there's lots of different ideas out there about what this passage is referring to, but the simplest answer is very plain, and it it looks at the passage that is mentioned here, and it actually just talks about this term. So what does it, what does it mean when it says the sons of God? Some people postulate that this was referring to angels who somehow came and procreated with women and created some sort of chimera, demigod kind of thing. But we see that supported nowhere in scripture. 
In fact, Jesus asserts in Matthew 22, around verse 30, that the angels do not engage in any level of procreation, that they're not that kind of being. So what's interesting here is what's being spoken about is the sons of God. So who are the sons of God? And so the sons of God would be a reference here to Seth's line. You see that Adam is called the son of God in Luke chapter 3. In the lineage we see in chapter 5 of Genesis here, it's talking about how Adam is made in the likeness of God, and then his children are born in his likeness. So the sons of God here is referring to Seth's lineage. And what we have happening here is um, a combination of the people who were following God's ways, starting to look at what's referred to as the sons of men or Cain's lineage, everybody who was not following God's path of faithfulness. And what we see here is we see that the people who are choosing to follow God are now being tempted to to intermarry with people who are not, which the Bible talks about in a number of different times in the New Testament as well, about not being joined to unbelievers for the, the reason of being led away from the faith. And so what we see here is we see that the people are starting to intermix and intermarry, and what we see rapidly happening is that the progress, uh, not the progress, that's not right, the word, but the state of people's minds is being shifted away further and further from godliness towards selfishness. And we're going to jump right back into that after this next song. This is Jeremy Camp, Give Me Jesus. In the morning When I rise In the morning When I rise In the morning When I rise Give me Jesus Give me Jesus Give me Jesus You can have All this world Just give me Jesus When I Am alone When I Am alone When I come to die 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio, and we're jumping right back into Genesis chapter 6 and continuing in with verse 5. So it reads, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent, notice, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, And he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Now this is a, this is an insane statement. Like if you, if you think about this, here's the God of the universe who has created this perfect world with perfect people in perfect harmony that we just read about, you know, a few weeks ago, they have chosen to walk away from God's ways. And we notice that just the very next generation, we're already seeing sin has gone from an act of disobedience of, I'm going to choose to eat something that I was told not to eat, to I'm going to murder somebody because I'm jealous. And as we see that happening generationally, coming down the generations, it gets to the point where the wickedness of humanity is so bad that God says, man, I am, I am sorrowful that I have made this, this situation. Like I've made these people that are in this situation, which is, which is just a a really hectic thing to think about. And you have to kind of ask the question, well, how bad did it get? Like, like seriously, how bad did it get that God would have that attitude about the creation that he loves? Because God had looked at the whole world when he made it perfect. He said, it is very good. So what in the world is going on to make it that bad? It says, notice, not not that the thoughts were evil sometimes, but it says that the thoughts of all the people were only evil all the time. 
you know, there's this there's this passage or not passage this this quotation from Alexander Solzhenitsyn in his book The Gulag Archipelago, and he he was writing um, from Soviet Russia from their prison camps in the gulags, and he he wrote this really profound statement. He said, "The line dividing good and evil cuts through every human heart." And there's so much truth in that statement. Like everybody has the capacity to do some good, it seems, right? We can choose to lie or we can choose to tell the truth. This, this, this ability to choose is present in every human heart. And even the people that we think are the most untouchable, the most profoundly righteous are capable of great ills. And what's happening here is that it says that Everybody is so practiced in, in doing evil that they're so desensitized that their natural thoughts, everything that they're thinking is only evil all the time. This is, this is insane. And, and the question that, is, that must be begged is, well, well, what did this look like practically? And jumping down just a bit, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna just highlight this. In verse 13, it says, it's, it's gonna tell us how bad it got. So we're gonna jump there in a moment, but, before we get there, let's just read all the way. Rather than jump, let's just go. So verse 8, God says this. He says, I'm going to destroy the earth. I'm going to put an end to this whole thing because it's gotten so very bad. But then this verse 8 comes, and verse 8 is incredible. It says, but. Now, sometimes buts are bad things, right? Like, yeah, I wanted to do that, but I chose not to do that. Or, I'm sorry, but... You know, and it kind of negates all of this, but he's saying, look, I'm going to destroy the earth, but this is one of those good buts, those good interruptions. And it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I love this. Noah found grace. This is the first instance where the word grace appears in the Bible. And it goes on to say, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Then it comes back and starts talking about the situation of the earth, but I think it's incredibly important to notice that in the midst of all of that horrific stuff, Noah found grace. This is the Statler Brothers. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That is the reason the scriptures record. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now the Lord looked down from his window in the sky and said, I created man, but I don't remember why. Nothing but fighting since creation day. I'll send a little water and I'll wash them all away. So the Lord came down to look around the spell, and there he found Noah behaving mighty well. And that's the reason the scriptures record that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That is the reason the scriptures record. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord said, Noah, there's going to be a flood. There's going to be some water. There's going to be some mud. Take off your hat, Noah, and take off your coat. Get Ham, Sham, and Japheth and build yourself a boat. Noah said, Lord, I don't believe I could. The Lord said, Noah, get some sturdy gopher wood. You never know what you can do till you try. Build it 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That is the reason the scriptures record. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. 
Then Noah said, there she is, there she is, Lord. The Lord said, Noah, it's time to get aboard. Now take a creature, a he and a she, and of course Mrs. Noah and the whole family. Noah said, Lord, it's getting mighty dark. The Lord said, Noah, get these creatures in the ark. Noah said, Lord, it's beginning to pour. The Lord said, Noah, hurry up and shut the door. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That is the reason the scriptures record. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now the ark rose up on the foot of the deep. And after 40 days, Mr. Noah took a peek and said, We're not moving, Lord. Where are we at? The Lord said, You're sitting on Mount Ararat. Noah said, Lord, it's getting mighty dry. The Lord said, Noah, see the rainbow in the sky. Take all the creatures and people to earth. Don't be more trouble than you're worth. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And he landed high and dry. And he landed high and dry. And he landed high. Great food that's good for you and for the planet. Manor Haven Cafe is an earth-friendly oasis right in the heart of Byron Bay, just across from Woolworths. The mouth-watering, 100% vegan menu will leave you and your friends satisfied and feeling great. Manor Haven's world-class curries and vegan lasagna have everybody raving. And if you mention this ad, you'll get one of our totally dairy-free desserts half price. We're open for lunch Monday to Friday at 97 Johnson Street, Byron Bay. Manor Haven Cafe. It's food for body and soul. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Did you know that 80% of Faith FM's operating budget comes from supporters like you? It takes 700 people just like you giving just a dollar a day to keep us running. Visit faithfm.com.au slash donate and partner with Faith FM today. And for just a dollar a day, together, we can reach Australia with life-changing messages of hope. It's cold in here It's a scary place Lord, what are you doing to me? Trusting you is a difficult thing Especially when I cannot see You know I trust in your plans Your God, I am man But right now I don't understand Help me, dear Lord, in this time of unknowns To keep a firm grip on your hand The candle burns, it flickers and yearns To fill four corners of this darkened room Whispers joyful light to the cruel winter's night So dark shadows will not consume, will not consume I used to fear the darkness and hear all the cold 
it overwhelmed me Trusting you was a difficult thing Especially when I could not see Silhouettes of the past for a future that lasts A message of your love and mercy A silent, still voice You've offered a choice To a world filled with uncertainty The candle burns, it flickers and yearns To fill four corners of this darkened room Whispers joyful light to the cruel winter's night So dark shadows will not consume The candle burns, it flickers and yearns To fill four corners of this darkened room Whispers joyful light to the cruel winter's night So dark shadows will not Will not consume Welcome back to well, Real Faith. <laughs> I was going to say, welcome back to Faith FM. I suppose that's true as well. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan on Faith FM. Glad to have you listening along. Um, just another shameless plug. We've got some questions coming in, um, but we would love to hear some more questions coming to you, coming to us. And if you'd like to send in some questions for our Question of the Week portion, you can do so by calling 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM, or you can text us at 0491-064-669. All right, so back into Genesis chapter 6, we're up at verse 11. And so just just keep this in the background of your mind. God has 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 seen so much wickedness happening on the earth that he has become sorrowful for making it. And then it says that Noah found grace. Now, what does it mean? We we said we were going to look at this. What does it mean that the world got that bad? How did that look? So verse 11 tells us, and it reads, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Now I want to just take a moment and, and flesh this out, because sometimes when we read this, people seem to think that that God destroying the earth is this act of horrible vengeance, and it's there, how could God do this? This is so unmerciful. But I want you to read what he said there. Like just, just listen to what he said there. He says, the end of all flesh has come before me. Notice he didn't say, I am planning the end of all flesh. 
He says, the end of all flesh has come before me. In other words, I have looked at the earth. I have looked at the way things are going. I have looked into how it's going to happen. And if I don't intercede, if I don't step in and do something to save someone, then they are going to kill each other until there's no one left. And so when we think about this, the flood is actually an act of grace and an act of mercy. And what God is doing is he's looking over the earth. Is there anybody who's willing to respond? Now check this out. This is profound. It says that he finds Noah and Noah finds grace. So God sees Noah and it says, remember, it says that he walked with God. It said he was perfect in his generations. Now that doesn't mean that he had never sinned and was perfect in his own self. But what it means is that he was choosing to, to follow God faithfully to the best of his ability. He was walking with God. And God sees him and God says, look, look, the end of all flesh has come before me and I'm going to have to destroy the earth because otherwise no one will be saved. And notice what happens here. He says, he goes into this list of, of instructions. He says to Noah, he says, make yourself an ark, which is a giant boat out of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, cover it inside and outside with pitch so that it's waterproof. And this is how you shall make it. And then he describes it. He says, the length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's with 50 cubits. It's height 30 cubits. And he goes on and gives this instruction. He says, you shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it to a cubit from above and set the door of the ark in its side. So one door, you've got some window happening. You shall make it with a lower, a second, and a third deck. This is a huge boat. And then he says this, and behold, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant or my promise, my agreement with you and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife and your sons wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the earth after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive and you shall take for yourself of all food that is eaten and you shall gather it to yourself and it shall be food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. And what's really important to notice here is that at, at the first reading, it could sound like, man, this is just favoritism and God is just favoring Noah because he's responding and there's, there's no chance for anybody else. But I want you to think about this. I, I built a, not built, I fixed a boat recently. So I found this wreck of a boat near my house, this little fiberglass dinghy, this tender for a, uh, t- somebody would take out to their yacht a long time ago, but it was, it was wrecked. It had holes all through it. It had a crack down the whole side of one of the hulls. It was, um, or one of the sides of the hull. It was, it was not a, uh, a good situation, right? And what's fascinating about that experience for me is that it took a long time to fix that. I had to learn how to fiberglass. I had to sand everything back. It took a lot of effort and energy. It's a little like seven foot boat. But here's the thing that took me time. And the time that that took me seemed like a lot longer than it should have been. Now, what if I'd had to build the whole boat from scratch? It would have taken me weeks of work to get that done. And what Noah is instructed to build is not fiberglass. He doesn't have bunnings down the road. He doesn't have any of this stuff. He says, build a three-story triple-decker boat out of wood, cover the whole thing inside and out with pitch. Notice that back earlier in the story, 
God had said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, but his days shall be 120 years. Right? 120 years. What's very interesting is that when it references Noah in the New Testament, it says in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5, speaking of God's dealing with the flood, but he did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. And what's fascinating to note is that man didn't stop living to, you know, the lifespan of man wasn't just 120 years from now on. We notice the lifespan of Noah is 600 years, his kids steadily declining after that, but it's a slow decline. So what's this 120 years talking about? When did Noah have time to preach to the world a message of repentance and come back to God and be saved? Well, he had 120 years where he built that ark. 120 years to build this thing, and while he was building it, he attracted attention. Can you imagine in a world that had not yet experienced rain, there'd never been a flood, there's this dude building this giant boat, and every opportunity that someone came to see, what are you doing, was an opportunity for him to preach the gospel that there was hope of salvation if they believed God's word and got on the boat with Noah, they would be saved. That, my friends, is grace. This is Kayla Hopkins, Greater Than Grace. What do you say to someone Who feels like they've lost it all Over the edge With no one there to break their fall What do you say to someone Who feels so unloved Giving themselves away a little bit every day just to be good enough. What do you say to a hopeless soul who can't remember their way home? And it's so hard for them to hear the truth. There is no valley, there is no darkness, there is no sorrow greater than the grace of Jesus. There is no moment, there is no distance, there is no heartbreak, He can take you through. So before you think that you're too lost to 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. One more shameless plug here just coming your way before the end of the hour to, uh, yeah, send in some questions. If you've got them, we've got a couple questions come in. That's excellent news. But if you would like to send in some questions for our question of the week, um, if we run out of time because we've got too many, we will uh, get to them next week. So you can do that by calling 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM or text us at 491 491- Zero six four double six nine. So we see Noah finding grace, and and Noah's preaching for one hundred and twenty years as he's building this ark. Like talk about talk about something to attract the attention of people. You know, Noah would have been ridiculed, I imagine, for years and years and years and years and years. But there was opportunity to share and to talk about what was going on. And it's also interesting to note before we keep reading that most of the people that are listed. In Genesis chapter 5, in the lineage following from Seth's line, that most of these guys lived till not that long before the flood, including Adam himself. So there would have been faithful men and women there at the time, but all of them have have deceased prior to the flood actually taking place. But he would have had the opportunity to, to speak with these people, to know and understand from their experience with God and what had happened, all of these things, and that would have been a great encouragement. So he goes and he does what God's commanded him to do. And I suppose if you believe in God and what he's saying, that he's going to flood the earth and he says, hey, I want you to build a boat so that I can save you, you probably are going to, if you believe him, do the very thing that he said. <laughs> All right, so verse uh, chapter 7, Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, it continues. It says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark. So clearly he's finished it by this stage. And all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female. Also, seven each of the birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made." And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters were on the earth. And just before we get any further, I think it's important to mention, sometimes people people throw qualms at, at the idea of 
of God being able to put all the life that was necessary to live on the ark. But I, I visited a few years ago uh, a place in the States where they, they have it's called the Ark Encounter, and they've actually gone and built a life-size replica of what they believe the ark could have looked like. Now, obviously, it doesn't give us the exact plans, but based off of the, the measurements, the height, the three decks, they've kind of gone on to say, well, how using the materials that they would have had access to at that time period, how might this have looked? And it was really fascinating. If you're interested to check it out, Look it up. It's called The Ark Encounter. You can check it out on Google. Um, and it was it was quite astounding to look at this. And the, the interesting thing I'd like to just note here is, number one, you don't have to put all of the aquatic animals on the ark for them to survive because a lot of them are going to survive in the water. That's not a problem. Number two, you have to think about, well, what about all the different kinds of animals? Well, number one, we have a lot of differentiation within species now. For example, all of the dogs that we have, wolves, they all really go back to two ancestor of, of the canine kind, right? All canines have differentiation, but they are all related to the same ancestor, two dogs or dog-like animals that we get all dogs from. So if you think about all the differentiation that we've had over the last, you know, six to 10,000 years, you've, you really don't have to have that many animals on the ark to wind up with all of the differentiation that we have today. So this is really fascinating to note. So how many animals would you need on the ark? Probably a significantly num- lower number than what we would imagine in order to get the variation that we have. Another interesting thing to note as we think about that is that if you were going to put animals on the ark, you might think to yourself, well, what about well, where we're, the, the kind of animal where elephants come from? How are you going to fit animals that big on the boat? Well, here's a question. Elephants are large, yes, but how big is a, a, a baby elephant? And if you were trying to prolong the life of animals to repopulate the earth, would you be picking an adult or an infant to kind of animal to bring on there? One, less food, less waste to clean up, less provision, less space, and a longer lifespan if you take a younger animal. So it seems very likely that God would have provided younger animals to come into that. So just some interesting things to note there about this. We're going to take a break and we're going to go to a song now. This song is by the Downing family. It's called The Master's Hand. Promised land, and 
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. And uh, we've got a little bit of a time before we get back to a break for the news. So we're going to try and get a little bit more in here. We're back in Genesis chapter 7. And God has just said, we're going to provide with you, provide you with seven, uh, depending on how you read it, it's either seven each of every clean animal or seven each in terms of seven pairs. It's a little bit debatable on that one. And two pairs of the unclean animals. Simple question. Why would God provide more clean animals and unclean animals? Simple answer is you come off of the ark. You've got offerings to make to thank God. So you're going to need clean animals to be able to make those sacrifices. Number two, if you are getting off of the ark and you don't have a lot of greenery growing on the earth yet to provide food, you're going to need some extra food, and it's after the the getting off of the ark that God allows to eat animals. So you're going to need more clean animals to be able to eat clean food. Um, so simple answer there. Coming down to verse 7. So Noah with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives, they went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds, and of everything that creeps on the earth, two by two they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's, of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. I think it's incredibly important to notice Noah was on the ark before God brought the animals two by two, walking through whatever area the ark was located. And I just want you to think about this. Noah preached this message from God for 120 years. He built the boat. They saw Noah's life being different from their own. They saw that he was being obedient to God. They saw what he was doing. They heard what he said. And when they went onto the boat, the door was still open. 
And the animals came to Noah. He didn't drive the animals. He hadn't caught them. They came two by two, side by side, onto the ark, and people witnessed this. And at this point, you would think that some people would decide to repent and change their mind and say yes to salvation. Yes, I want to, I'm going to change. I'm going to come onto this thing. I want, I want grace too. I want to be like Noah. And yet it says that no one did except for Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives. Eight people total out of the whole population of the earth. And if you think about it, if you just do the maths, if the average person is having five kids, which it sounds like that's in the lineage in chapter five, it's at least five is the average. You start doing the math, there's well over a million people on the planet by this time. This is a very small minority. This is an unfortunate situation. But they had a long time to choose to accept salvation. And so this is quite a profound part of the story. It continues on in verse 13 and gives a little bit of a backwards look at what it's just said. It says, On the very same day Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them, entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after its kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. They went into the ark to Noah, two by two of all flesh in which is the breath of life. Verse 16, so those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. So up until the moment where the last animals, the last two walked onto the ark, the door was open. There was opportunity. And the question I think for us is to realize while we are living, while we have breath in their lungs, there is opportunity. God's desire is that each of us be saved. And the question for you and the question for me is, will we choose to accept that salvation? Will we choose to accept the way of escape, the way of life? And that is being extended to you and to me. And the question that we ought to be responding to today is, do we want to accept that? And I just want to encourage you and beseech you as a friend. Say yes to that opportunity. Say yes to that offer. Jesus is extending you salvation, redemption, freedom, and victory in life. And today is the day of salvation. Choose it now. And I encourage you to make that decision today. And your life will be forever changed. We're going to take a break here and we're going to go to this next song. Oh 
to hear your story. Let us know on our website at faithfm.com.au or email me on robbie at faithfm.com.au and let's connect today. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Be thou to me a rock of habitation to
Help me to stand on your firm foundation. This is a rerun of Real Faith. Make sure you join Thursdays at 3.30 for the live show.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio, and I'm curious, Shell, what time is it? Oh, question of the week. Yeah. Oh, that always brings a smile to my face. We were just goofing off when we made that, and it's crazy that it wound up on the radio. But it has come that time for Question of the Week, and we just want to thank you for your questions. We've got a few questions coming in, and a couple questions probably for next week that we won't even have time to get to. So we're going to try and get to these three questions. The first question is from Freco. So thank you, Freco, for your question. The question says, was Satan on the earth when the earth was void, that is, prior to the creation of uh, the creation story day one, um, or... Was he on the earth after creation? Great question. Um, I'd like to turn our attention to Revelation chapter 12, which I think gives some good insight. And then we'll look at a verse in Genesis chapter 1 as well. So in Revelation chapter 12, it says something that I think gives us a little insight on that. Revelation 12 verse 10 through 12 says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. And the short little part that I'd just like to point out there is that when it says that the devil has been cast down, it's saying, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. And I think it's it's just interesting to point out there had to be inhabitants on the earth when this takes place for that statement to rest true. So it seems to me that for that reason and another reason, that the devil would not have been able to be on the earth or Lucifer would not have been on the earth until after the earth had been created. Second line of reasoning for that is that in Genesis 1 verse 31 it says, after God has finished the creation, he says, it says, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Um, and I think it's important to note that if God had allowed the devil to be on the earth prior to the creation taking place in the first six days there, he could not rightfully and truthfully have said, everything that's going on here on the earth that I've made is good and the whole picture is good because if the enemy, the prince of darkness, is already there, how could it be good in that instance? So that's my short answer. So um, that's my reasoning for believing that the devil would have been down on the earth after the creation had taken place. So thank you for that question, Freco. I hope that's helpful. Second question is coming in from Margie today. Thank you, Margie. And the question is, where was Daniel... When his three friends were in the fiery furnace, the story in Daniel chapter 3. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in this giant crowd of all of these leaders from the nation of Babylon. And during this time period, the king of the, of the world at the time, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was the emperor of the Babylonian empire. He built a golden statue and required everyone to bow down and worship it when the band struck the right chord. And it says that Everybody bows down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three of Daniel's friends, were faithful to God, and they did not bow down. And so they were thrown into a fiery furnace. It says that uh, there was a being in there with them. He looked like the Son of God. We believe that to be Jesus prior to the incarnation taking place, being in there and protecting them. So the question is, well, where was Daniel? 
He's not mentioned in the story. Did by, uh, did Daniel, was Daniel there? Was he not there? Did he bow down? Did he not bow down? What's, what's the scoop? Because it doesn't actually say anything about it in the Bible. And because it doesn't say anything about where Daniel was in, in that chapter or anywhere else in scripture, it's actually hard for us to say with any kind of confidence where he was, except that we could look at a couple of possibilities and say what's most likely. So from here on out, it's all speculation, Margie. But um, I would suggest that if you think about it, one possibility is he was there and he bowed down. That seems a very unlikely possibility, considering that in the very next chapter, he's being faithful to God and calling out Nebuchadnezzar to repent for his idolatrous ways. It's also unlikely because every other story we have of Daniel, he risks his life and is willing to be facing scrutiny for death to be faithful to God. So that seems very unlikely. It seems much more likely that Daniel was probably still in the province of Babylon in the city because he had been positioned, uh, put into the position rather, of being prime minister of the Babylonian province at this point in time. And if the king of Babylon has gone a journey of approximately 95 miles or a hundred odd kilometers potentially into the, the plain of Dura where, where scholars suggest that that is probably located is many days journey from the city of Babylon. Now, if the emperor is going out there and he's taking leaders from all of his different places, who's looking after Babylon to make sure it's not taken over. You know, he's going to have to have soldiers coming with him to guard and protect him. So his army is going to be split and the reality is the most likely answer to your question, Margie, is that he was probably in the city of Babylon looking after the affairs of the king while he was away. Um, again, that's speculation. The Bible doesn't give us any clues on that, but that's p- the most probable answer based on his position or that he was away on another errand is another possible um, speculation. So I hope that's helpful to you. It's a great question. Our last question is today is coming from Maddie. And Maddie asks, why does God love us so much? And I'm so glad that you've asked that question, Maddie. That is a profound question. And unfortunately, it's really hard to find an exact answer of why God loves us so much. We know that God does love us more than we could ever think or ask or imagine. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not uh, should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16, there's many other verses that talk about God loving us so much. Uh, John 16.27, Jesus says, The Father himself loves you. Contrary to what some people would suggest, that the Father is the angry God at us and Jesus is the one who loves us. Jesus himself says that God loves us. But Why? And I think the simple answer is, and it's so profound and so beautiful, is that he doesn't love us because we have something that that deserves his love. It's not that we are so beautiful and wonderful and fantastic that he, he is drawn to us because of our great qualities, but it's actually that God loves us, one, because he made us. Two, that he loves us because his very nature is to love John, first John 4, 8 says that God is love. God is relational in his very nature. The Father, the Son, the Spirit, ever intermingling relationally in selfless, other-centered love for the ceaseless ages of eternity. And when he decides to create beings, he makes humanity in his image, for example, he makes the angels, he makes all of these things, he loves them more than a parent loves a child that they have procreated. He loves the children that he has made. And there's one other verse I'd like to just share with you, and that is 2 Timothy 2, 
verse 13, I think it is. And it says this. It says, if we are faithless, he, God, remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And I think that that just resounds in my ears. God is love. And so he loves us by the virtue of who he is. And he cannot do anything else because that's who God is. And that's why he loves us. This is Chris Rice, a love that will not let me go. Oh, love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe. That is. Absence flow may richer, fuller be. O light that followest all my way, I yield my flickering torch to thee. My heart restores its borrowed ray that is. Sunshine's blaze, its day may brighter, fairer be. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel. Is not vain that morn shall tearless be. O cross that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay. Life's glory dead And from the ground There blossoms red Life that shall Endless peace Life that shall Endless peace Endless peace Endless peace Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie Morgan. You are listening to Faith FM Radio. Just want to send another thank you out to our callers in who sent your questions. Thank you for your questions. We love hearing from you guys. And um, remember to keep calling in with those questions even even before the next show. If you have things come to your mind, you can text those in and we will have them for next week, for the next show. So, uh, yeah, it's great to hear from you guys. Might I just say thank you for flooding us with questions? Pardon my pun. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I love puns. All right, so we're going to jump back in for our final, our final little segment, back into the story. So we're back in Genesis chapter 7. I think, I think this is worth mentioning. So we, we finished off in the last, the, the, the last reading, 
and I just want to reread it. So this is Genesis 7, verse 16. So those that entered, that is the ark, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. And I think this is just worth noting, because I think some people some people wrestle with these kinds of questions. Sometimes people wonder, well, what's going to happen at the end of time when things get real crazy and Jesus says that it's going to be it's, it's going to be a time of, of tribulation and trial so great that God has to cut it short, or even, even the elect would be lost if not for that, if that is even possible. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 24. And I think that I'm, I'm probably well within my bounds to say that some of you have asked the question, well, how in the world am I going to survive that? How, I'm, I just don't have the faith to be in that space. And I, I think that there's a lesson to be drawn from the story of Noah here and where it says God shut him in. Noah had 120 years to practice a walk with God, a walk of faith, from the time that he was informed about the destruction that was coming to the world and the way that he was going to experience salvation by putting his faith in God, by building the ark, by going on the ark when God said, by responding in belief. And what's fascinating to note is that he had to exhibit an, you know, an incredible amount of faith. He'd never seen rain before. He'd never had any of these experiences. And I imagine that when he went to go get in the boat and spent a week on there before the flood, that that was a time of difficulty. But as he waited for the flood to come, and there were probably people ridiculing and mocking him, he saw the evidence coming when the animals came. And it was not he who shut himself in. But God shut him in. And when God shut him in, he was safe. And there was no longer the possibility of, of, of having a problem there because God had, had sealed him, so to speak. And I think it's important just to note for those that have that question, when it comes to the end of time, if we have been doing the, the walking with Jesus now, then when that time comes, we don't have to be afraid. We just need to cling to Jesus because he will shut us in. And I think that's just worth noting. I just felt inspired by the Holy Spirit to say that. So hopefully that's helpful to someone. The Lord is the one who will shut us in. Verse 17, we're going to finish out this, this chapter 7 and just draw some applications. And we're going to do Noah part 2 next week. So now the flood was on the earth for 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. So this is a global flood. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upward, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man. All in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. I think it's important to just note that there's, there's a lot of effort gone to, to show that, that this was, this flood was global. It was the whole thing, the whole shebang. And that the only survivors were the people of, of Noah and his, his family who chose to respond to God's faithfulness and to accept salvation from that disaster. And I think it's just, it's just powerful to note that this is the position that the Bible is taking. It's saying this is an event, a historical event that happened. And there 
are connections with this to the end of time. There's connections with all of these things. So what, what can we draw out of this story? And I think there's a number of things we could draw out. One of the things that I think is incredibly important is that the reason Noah was saved was because Noah found grace. Noah found grace. Noah was not perfect. Noah did not deserve to be saved because he just had some wonderful merit. He was a man walking in faith who stumbled and made mistakes and had to repent and confess like every other person that's ever lived. But he found grace and God was big enough and and strong enough to carry him through. And Noah had to put his faith in God and he had to respond to that. But everybody needs grace. There is nobody who can be saved on their own merit, not one. There's another thing that I think is a practical application point out of this is that belief, true belief leads to obedience. What do I mean by that? When we truly believe, Noah believed that God was going to send a flood. And if he really believed, then he would respond to what God had said. And so he builds this ark. And that would have been a difficult task physically, mentally, spiritually, just it, it was under extreme duress, ridicule, all of those things. But he did it because he believed. That doesn't mean he did it perfectly again. But he followed God's instructions and he walked with God. And I'm sure that was a trying time. But belief leads to obedience. It leads to a response of faith. Faith has to have feet. If faith isn't put into action, it's not really faith at all. And so we, I think we need to take that lesson on board that our belief should lead to a response, a real response, not just an intellectual assent. Um, and while there is still time, make our choices while there's still time. You know, tomorrow's not guaranteed. Sometimes we think, oh, I'll just wait. I'll just wait to, you know, get things right with God until I'm on my deathbed. Well, what happens if you get hit by a bus tomorrow? What happens if you're diagnosed with cancer? What happens if somebody does something to you and you're no longer here? The reality is there's hope while there is breath in your lungs. And there's breath in your lungs right now. There's breath in your lungs today. So let the Lord shut you in. Let the Lord save you. Let the Lord take you and, and, and redeem your life. You can have that experience with Jesus from now and forevermore. And so I just want to encourage you. Today is the day of salvation. You can have that. And I encourage you to ask Jesus for that and commit your life to him today. As you go about your week, remember that real faith is live faith. 